Jenny Chan is the Chief Investment Officer of the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. She's big on ESG, and she's a new addition to the CIO world. You see, Chan was part of the CIO NextGen's inaugural class last year, and about a month after went from Senior Investment Officer at the Doris Duke Charitable Foundation to finally making it as a CIO. The second annual NextGen list, which highlights some of the top young bucks in the industry, is going on right now. And we've got some stellar stars on the roster. Before we begin, CIO wants to know who's innovative. Our annual December Industry Innovation Awards are taking nominations until August 3rd. Let us know which asset owners and asset managers are the real rock stars of the industry. To do so, head on over to AICIO.com, where you can also listen to past episodes of the CIO podcast and find more awesome content. Starting a new job is always a little stressful, let alone at the top level of your industry. Chan tells us what it was like to become an X-Gen after working at Doris Duke for 11 years and what it was like knowing she would finally become a CIO. It was a really nice feeling to be recognized and humbling to be included in an elite group of intelligent and committed investors. One aspect of the endowment foundation and nonprofit community is that it attracts unique types of personalities and talent, and there's a concentration of very capable people. So to be highlighted within that is an honor. Also, being a member of this type of group, I think, does differentiate you from other people, and it puts you on radars that you might never be on. I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that had I not been included on this, I might not have been on the radars that have gotten me to my current CIO role. It was really exciting to take on this position. In my experience, I think understanding and managing the needs of all the different stakeholders is really essential because you need buy-in whenever you're new, but also whenever you're trying to do anything different. What does it take to do well? I think beyond understanding the different stakeholders and being able to work with them well, being able to change the culture of your team through periods of transition. So there's a lot of transition going on at the hospital now, not just within the investment office, but across different levels. With that type of change, it can be a challenge, certainly initially to, I guess, embrace it, but also naturally just change the way you do things, the motivation of how you're doing things. If you've been doing or practicing certain processes for a long time in one way. As if that wasn't enough, Chen also entered a new sector of finance. Moving from a foundation to a hospital is like apples and oranges for a number of reasons. There's structure, different types of capital coming in, and even a different mission statement. Take it from Jenny. The hospital is a very complicated operation-wise, and the structure of a hospital fall under specific regulations. That's what I've noticed, at least in my nine months so far, that are quite different from my former foundation, but I bet also foundations in general. And at CHOP, there are 16,000 employees, a really magnitude 
size-wise of change. And there are a lot of different processes that are required to support to that many employees versus an organization that has 200 people or something like that. Another difference that has become really clear to me is the role of philanthropic contributions, which are much more important, particularly because I came from a private foundation where there was no reliance on philanthropy and we were giving out grants, but relying on the health and performance of the endowment to support all the operations. That's a whole nother component that I wasn't used to before I got here. There are pros and cons to that because you certainly are reliant. You create your business plans around external philanthropy, but at the same time, fortunately for CHOP, we don't rely on the endowment to support operation spending on an annual basis, and that creates a level of flexibility that typical 501c3 nonprofits who need to pay out 5% of their endowment every year don't have. This also changed her investment mindset in some ways, as she deals with more moving parts than her previous roles. Naturally, it's a different level of responsibility. And like I mentioned earlier, we are going through transition at multiple different levels. There are a lot more components and aspects of the CIO role that you generally don't see if you're an investment officer or if you're focusing on manager selection and due diligence. For one thing, there are a lot more committees and a lot more meetings that are not manager-related that CIOs have to go to, and that's just part of the job. And just having that connection between what the investment office does, managing the endowment. Here at CHOP, the pension dollars also fall under the investment office, so there's different pools of capital, which is another aspect that doesn't always exist in the foundation world. Well, certainly there's a range of different oversight and governance structures. I think taking a step back and the big picture is that whenever you are with a new organization, there is a different group of stakeholders. Sometimes those stakeholders aren't as obvious and their importance aren't as obvious as you might think initially. So I've spent the majority of the last nine months working on governance and starting to create a foundation for being able to manage the portfolio under the new structure of oversight that the hospital actually implemented prior to my arrival, which was a big change for them. With all these moving parts, it's going to take some time for the dust to settle a bit and for us to get into a good rhythm and process around the general aspects of running an investment office and interacting with boards and investment committees and that type of thing. One of the first efforts that was really important to me when I joined the hospital was implementing a farm team initiative for venture investments because it's really an area where you can have an outsized influence on the portfolio with your manager selection. And if you're able to tolerate the illiquidity of those types of investments, it could really change your success rates. I'm new to the hospital. There are new board members. The, the macro drivers that are impacting markets create an increased level of certainty, and I think that needs to be taken into consideration with any portfolio changes. So when we talk about trying to get trustees on board or aligned with strategy, I think it's harder just generally today because we're in a different market environment and one that we haven't necessarily seen in the past in the same way that we have given the long-running bull market that has occurred in the last 10 years. And so it's, in some respect, a new world, and a lot of the market's being sentiment-driven. And whenever uncertainty increases, I think everybody becomes a lot more vigilant about making any portfolio changes or taking on any big initiatives. Chan is pretty excited to take on some new challenges. 
the excitement of building out a new high-performing investment office and creating a culture that really drives success motivates me every day. While there was and there has been successful people in this role and the team has been in place for some time, as I mentioned, we're kind of changing things up a bit and going through a transition. And so there is this excitement around how do we really cultivate the environment that we want to have, one that allows us to enjoy coming in every day and challenges us and where we like our peers and we really kind of work as a team to accomplish what we're looking to accomplish with the portfolio and then also supporting the mission of the hospital. Jenny doesn't always have new challenges with just being a CIO. She's also starting to hear the infamous what keeps you up at night question more frequently. Being the pro that she is, Chan's got a lot on her mind and she doesn't mind sharing. There's such an increase of uncertainty on multiple fronts that you never know until after the fact whether this time is different or <laughs> this time is the same, particularly in the current environment that we have, which does have unique aspects to it. The impact of macro issues are really moving the market. And while sentiment-driven markets are by no means a new phenomenon, the movements in the markets on an intraday basis or from one day to the next as a result of one comment or something like that, that's a bit new. And the frequency of those movements, I think, are new. What I spend a lot of time thinking about is how impactful is that in the long term? And as a long-term investor, maybe the answer is it's not going to be that impactful. But to be on the wrong side of that, I think, is a big risk. I'm just trying to understand what the different scenarios might be under an extended trade war, for example, or maybe a bit on the potentially more positive side if interest rates stay stable or if they're cut a couple of times, which some surveys that is being forecast. So a lot more I'm thinking about macro issues than I might have done in the past, but certainly that's also a byproduct of being in my current role. Remember when we said Jenny's big on ESG? We meant really big. So much, in fact, that she had an ESG-themed podcast called Impact on Record while she was getting her MBA from the Yale School of Management. Jenny talks about how it came to be, her take on the topic, and what ESG needs to gain widespread adoption in the institutional investment world. So it was really kind of a stroke of luck. I was on the Metro North with two classmates. We were just talking about a wide range of topics, and we discovered we were all interested in impact investing generally, but also we had a bit more of a passion to different levels and discussed how we might just build upon that and use the resources of the university to help promote the concept and what we could really bring to the area. One of my classmates said, why don't we do a podcast? I said, well, I know how to listen to a podcast, but that's really the extent of my knowledge about these things. Fortunately, there were complementary skill sets across all of us. We just jumped in and did it. And of course, we learned a lot along the way, but we were really proud of the podcast and certainly the guests that we were able to have. My take on ESG has always been as a necessary component of risk management. So that's the lens that I come to it from. I'm also very motivated by performance. I'm sensitive to the issues that come up and 
the questions about sacrificing performance while including ESG metrics or ESG filters. There's enough research out there, if you look, that really dispels a lot of that, but certainly the research is ongoing and these types of strategies are still somewhat nascent, so there will be much more data to come. But I'm completely confident that including ESG considerations when investing just helps you have a more thorough and complete handle on potential risks to an investment. At CHOP, we currently and historically have not had any types of formalized ESG metrics or considerations as part of the process, but with my hiring and certainly my intent, it will be folded into the process. I don't see us necessarily ever having a carve out, which some institutions do, because our mission is really on the operations side, focusing on the health and care of children. And that will always be our mission. But certainly there are ways to align our dollars in more effective ways. And those opportunities will only increase in time. There needs to be a fundamental change in the mindset of finance professionals specifically, but also all participants in the economy, including, of course, consumers. Whenever I think you want total adoption of anything, everybody needs to buy into it. And that's a tall order, particularly in this space. When I say change of mindset, I also mean a more open mindset. I've definitely been in a lot of conversations where the default answer when I bring up this topic is we focus on returns and that's it and we don't want to sacrifice returns for anything else. There was a time where there was less attention to the space, there was less data, there was less participants, products and strategies, but I feel like every time I look at the news, someone's coming out with some type of ESG product or strategy and hiring professionals that have backgrounds in these types of things. So it's gaining some traction. But whenever you have something new, people can get distracted easily. There's a lot of noise out there, if you will, and it takes a while to have a concept proven. I'm appreciative of that, but I also think that as a society, we have to be thinking about how multiple types of factors and not just stock price influences the quality of the corporations and the products that flow through our system. Being a Chinese-American woman, Chan hit several targets in the finance world that there's a scarcity, minority and female. She's got a small team with barely any women and tries to advocate however she can for more women in finance. Diversity is one of the ESG strengths that the institutional landscape is clamoring for, especially on the social and governance side of things. I have a team of two right now, excluding me, and there's one woman. I'm hoping to double that very soon. If that happens, then women will outnumber men on the team. It's not just a function of number, but certainly that's important. I'm absolutely an advocate for women and diversity because I fundamentally believe that you need diversity of opinion and often that created by diversity of experiences. It's a topic that is really important right now and getting a lot of attention. And for that, I'm grateful. But I think the efforts to diversify the teams in the finance universe and to have more women on boards and more women investment professionals, it's an effort that everybody needs to participate in, men and women at all different levels of an organization. Because we are still so far behind when you look at the data. I personally feel as a woman in finance, it's absolutely my responsibility to make sure that I'm looking at diverse talent when I think about building my team, that I'm partnering with managers and other groups who also 
prioritize that, the more that we as an investor group promote that and continue to make that a priority and importance for us, that's really the only way that we're ever going to move the needle. To get to where she is, Jenny had to learn a lot of tough lessons along the way. Both on the personal and professional sides, she next tells us about one of her hardest trials. I've always tried to think that I'm objective with my decision-making, but there have been different periods where this has come to the fore more for me than others. It's the realization that the people you invest in are not always the people you like the most. And while that sounds simple, it can pose a challenge. Certainly, if you have long-term relationships with managers, for example, and something changes where it's not the right fit anymore, then your needs change as well. It's a trap that I never really thought I would fall into, and I'd like to say that I haven't, but it's certainly the longer you're in this business, the more people you know, the better relationships you develop. And while you want to support great people, there are only so many investments that you can make. I think we bring cognitive bias to our decisions, and it's important to recognize and understand what they are, because even when you are very vigilant or you try to be very vigilant, it creeps in. As for her peers and fellow next-gens, Chan's got a simple bit of advice that anyone looking to rise up the ranks should listen in for. I'm a really strong believer that investing only gets more competitive over time. That's why I think it is so important to constantly be challenging yourself to have a lifelong learning approach. When I think about people who inspire me or who I look up to and I want to emulate in certain ways, they are people who really are learning constantly. They're naturally curious. They are looking for different opinions. They believe diversity is important, diversity of thought, and they are always trying to better themselves. That means different things. It doesn't mean that you have to be in school all the time or getting a lot of degrees, but it does mean that you have this open mindset approach to things. And the way that I try to incorporate that in my life, even today, is having goals over certain periods of time, whether it's quarterly or six months or annually, things that really keep me fresh, that keep me thinking differently. And that could even be something as simple as I want to read 10 books this year. Five of them are not finance related. <laughs> Just simple things that work for you, that challenge the way you think, that challenges your perception of investing, but the world in general. Although she'll always have a passion for investing, she's also got a soft spot for animals. Jenny's philosophy is to marry your interests with work, and she tells us how she's able to do so. So I do love animals, and although I haven't had much time to volunteer, I'm hoping I will find the right opportunity for my schedule in the near future. But having worked for mission-oriented organizations and seeing all the incredible levels of commitment and areas that my peers and I work towards, it's really opened my eyes to the great need in the world. I've discovered that we can contribute to progress individually and collectively, and while that benefits the areas that we're trying to help, it really creates additional benefits on top of just working for a nonprofit, which is great in and of itself. For me, it gives me a little more balance in my life. In addition to the work that I do with animals, I'm also really interested in habitat conservation in the environment, as well as promoting women in finance and the broad topic of impact investing in general. And there are multiple ways, I think, of weaving all of your interests into what you do for a living, and particularly in the investment world, because many of the efforts that are required to really make change require investment. Thanks for listening to another episode of the CIO Podcast. 
We'd like to thank Jenny Chan for her time and sharing her experiences with us. Don't forget to drop by AICIO.com for more content and to nominate your top asset owners and managers for the 2019 CIO Industry Innovation Awards. I'm Chris Butera. You stay classy now.